0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: Alfred, Joel, Horford, Reynoso. If we're starting this show with somebody's government, you know something happened. Years from now, when people look back and say, who was the first genius to master time travel, that will be your answer. Because Al Horford, just Marty mcfly the hell out of a game last night and may have saved the Celtics' season in the process. Certainly saved them in that series, may have saved their entire season. You lose last night, and the Celtics are done. DOA. They'd be down 3-1, and they're not beating Milwaukee three straight. However, they don't have to worry about that, because Al Horford quantum leaped about 10 years back and carried them to a win, and that series has a totally different look and feel right now. He had already been a presence in that series, but he went to a new level last night when he had 30 and eight rebounds when Boston needed it most. That was his first 30-point game in three years. That was his first 30-point playoff game ever. And if you want to know the exact moment when my man hopped into the DeLorean, I will tell you what it was. It was right here. Bounce pass goes right to Holiday. Holiday will feed it off that to Giannis going the other way. Giannis taking it all the way to the rack. (laughs) Send it
0: down, big fella. The facial going the other way. And Giannis is maybe going to get called for a technical here. Afterward, he threw it right over
1: Horford. And a little talking after the fact, he got a technical. All right, so that right there was a fascinating moment. Giannis throws down on Al looks at him, says something, and forget for a moment that it may have been the softest tee in NBA history. But while it was a terrible look for the officials, again, it was actually an enormous moment for Al Horford because you saw his response. The question was, what was he thinking in that moment?
2: Yeah, I don't really know what he said to me, but the way he was looking at me and the way that he was going about it uh, really... Then say well with me. And at that point, I think do something switch with me.
1: All right, so we're talking about one of the classiest guys ever. Al Horford is one of the classiest guys ever. Just so we're really clear on this, he is not the kind of guy who calls out other players. He just doesn't do that very much. So you know if he says that something flipped in him when it happened, then something flipped in him when it happened. You know who else knew that it was a mistake immediately? His sister. Our sister Anna tweeted, "Quote: This is where the Bucks bleeped up. I know that look. He was pissed." End of quote. That's a great tweet from his sis, and he was pissed, and he did go off. And if you don't believe that Giannis got Horford going, ask the freak's face after this dunk.
2: Horford gets by Giannis. And- ah! a primal scream and Giannis
0: on the deck chance of the three point play for Al Horford
1: that was an amazing moment and whatever you do you may want to but don't come up in here and ask for a drug test for Al because that's not a PED that is straight wizardry and you really can't test for that right I mean, if that's not witchcraft, then what else is it? How else can you explain it? Because I know I can't. Let me give you some perspective. Normally, I don't like playing this game, but this game is actually paramount right here. It's important. This is 2022. Al Horford won an NCAA title 16 years ago. That title is so old, it can now drive. Now, I get this all the time now. Yo, Rome, Rome, you're a legend, I grew up watching you on TV. I don't just get that, but I get that from like 45-year-olds. That said, Al has been around so long, I feel like I'm the one who grew up watching him on TV. I mean, do you ever remember a time when Al Horford was not around, much was doing the bleep that he's doing right now? This guy played with Joe Noah, who is retired. This guy played with Corey Brewer, who's already coaching. This guy was at Florida when people still cared about Tim Tebow. That's how long ago that was. Tebow has tried and failed to have a career in multiple sports and multiple positions since then. But Horford is still out here carving up the Bucks' defense and the time-space continuum in the playoffs. He was 6-for-6 six six for 16 points in the fourth quarter alone. He's the oldest Celtic to drop 30 in a playoff game. Since John Havlicek did it back when the league had part-time real estate agents playing. Havlicek did it so long ago that Horford wasn't even born. He wasn't even alive at that time. So I'm not going to say that Al Horford came into the NBA a long time ago. But Ty Lu was one of his teammates. And Ty won an NBA title As a head coach six years ago, Al and Mike Bibby were teammates before Bibby turned into Aaron Donald. (sighs) The crazy thing is people thought that Horford was washed when he was in Philly two years ago, and then he spent a year in exile in OKC. He wanted out of Philly so badly and initially thought that going to OKC would be good until he got there and realized it was OKC. Then this offseason, Boston brought him back in a salary dump. I guess what I'm getting at is, if the reinvention project was a basketball player, it would be Al Horford. And after seeing him last night, I am all in on everything this guy's doing. I see that last night on the road against the defending champs with the season on the line, and I want to get this guy on the show, because he is the very definition of reinvention, transformation, living your best life and being the best version of yourself later in life. Like I so badly need to pick this guy's brain because what I'm seeing from him is incredible. Not only the ultimate pro's pro, but this dude literally has figured out a way to spin the clock in reverse and I have to know how he's doing it. Because he was out there hitting the seas with the paddles when they were in big, big trouble. Milwaukee had a double-digit lead. Time Lord was on the bench with an injury. Jalen Brown and Grant Williams were both in foul trouble. Jason Tatum could not buy a bucket. That had 3-1 series lead written all over it for Milwaukee. And Milwaukee knows it. Milwaukee knows they let that get away. They know they blew it. And as good as that was for Boston, it really was that bad for the Bucks. I know it's only one loss for the Bucks, but it had to feel like two. Because they were this close to ending that series. Then they got ended by a dude who played in the league with Takembe Mutombo. And Mutombo is old enough to be my dad.
3: Who wants to
1: sex Mutombo? Well, maybe not, maybe not that old, but he is 55. So that's brutal. This is why, for all the talent that the Bucks have, and a ring, there is still a faction that will never fully trust the defending champs because stuff like this happens with them. They let Joe Noah's college teammate go off. And it wasn't just what he did on the offensive end. He held Giannis to 4 of 12 shooting. Nobody can stop Giannis defensively. Nobody Nobody except Al Horford. He can. He did. And then he was blowing by Giannis on the other end, viraling him and saving the Celtics season almost single-handedly. I'm telling you, the game was dead and buried, just like Al's career in some people's eyes, and he resurrected his team and himself, and it was impressive as hell. I guess what I'm getting at is, and give this guy some bleeping credit. For real. For real. I don't know. Like, when I talk about the Reinvention Project, it seems like Al wants his next 30 to be his best 30 years. And he's succeeding. It took Al all of six seconds to flip that switch to default aggressive. He didn't just dunk on Giannis. He dunked on Father Time. Al put a sign on Giannis's forehead that said, Welcome to Pound Town. I guess what I'm saying is, Al did to Giannis what the pantry does to me several times a week. Kick my ass. Al's out here teaching a master class on ass-kicking. And Giannis like getting suspended, sent to detention hall, staying after school. And now he's gotta tell his dad he's changing majors and needs to stay a fifth year.
2: Then say well with me. And at that point I think do something switch with me. That was the
1: thing. I got a text from Jake Rome who informed me that he completed his junior year yesterday. I'm like, at a boy. Because I informed my old man that I would be requiring a fifth year. And I thought he wanted to slap me. That was not okay with him. If you're a parent, you know this. Kids are amazing, but they are expensive. However, with Fabric, protecting your family with term life insurance is surprisingly affordable. Fabric was built specifically for parents to help you manage your family's financial future like a parenting pro stress-free. And Fabric's new lower prices mean significant savings over other providers with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day and everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online less than 10 minutes to apply and you can be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required then just personalize your quote to fit your family's needs and you will be set with high quality affordable protection for your entire family there is no risk to apply today Fabric has a 30 day money back guarantee and you can cancel at any time so protect your family with term life insurance right now in just 10 minutes apply Today at meetfabric.com/rome. That's meetfabric.com/rome to start protecting your family right now. M-e-e-t fabric.com/rome. Fabric Insurance Agency policies issued by Vantus Life, not available in New York and Montana. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Will Brinson is my guest. Will, what's going on? How are you?
2: Yeah, I kind of like the idea of you being the, the, the leader of the jury, like the, the, the foreman of the jury and just like delivering, like like, like like kind of do it as a radio show with like like scathing hot takes about various opinions jury members have.
1: Now, see, that's the thing, though. I appreciate you saying that, Will, but just like this show where the listeners think they're much better at better at it than me, there's no way those 11 would have been better at that than me, but they would have thought <laughs> so, and I would have let them. But we'll never know—at least not for another year. So let me ask you this: We get the full schedule release, but we already know some games right now. Will this morning we get news of a Christmas Day game? Denver v. the Rams, four thirty PM Eastern on CBS. What are your early thoughts on that matchup?
2: Oh man, I mean, I love. I mean, well, first of all, it's great that we get the CBS synergy uh, flowing through the show here, and-, and pumped to you know have have those guys on the call, of course. But we also get to double down on Nickelodeon, which means we get Christmas Day slime. We get an MVP, uh, which Russell Wilson is like the perfect MVP, where he would take it seriously and not be embarrassed like Mitchell Trubisky. Um, and in, in all seriousness, from a football perspective, it's a great matchup. I mean, I, I think there's a I mean, there's a non-zero chance that's who we see in the Super Bowl come the end of the year because you know you look at the NFC and with the departures of guy, the departure of guys like Russ. Um, and all all this talent that's flooded over the AFC, the Rams have to be feeling pretty good about their chances to at least have a shot at repeating by getting back to the Super Bowl because the conference is a little more watered down than it was last season. And then, you know, as far as Russ goes, like that Broncos team, we've been saying for two or three years, all they need is that quarterback, and they're going to take a huge step forward. I I do have some reservations that Russ will come in and, and just, you know, dominate out of the gate. But he's the type of guy that puts a chip on his shoulder where, you know, he's been ditched by Seattle. There are people who are questioning whether he's still, you know, a top-tier, you know, elite-level quarterback. And he's got the weapons on that offense in Denver. Jerry, Judy, Corton Sutton. I mean, they got, you know, K.J. Hamler's coming back. They got some guys they can cook where – and I think we'd see a pretty good season from Russ. It wouldn't shot me if he made a deep run.
1: Will Brenton's joining us. Well, you hit on two things I wanted to ask you about. Are the Rams a good value? It sounds like you think so. And we talked, or I was going to ask you about Denver with Russ. What about Seattle? Seattle did not draft a quarterback. They did not trade for one of the vets who were on the market. Last week, Pete Carroll was saying things like, yeah, well, if Drew Locke were in the draft this year, he would have been the first quarterback taken. Now he's saying that Geno Smith is the first-ring quarterback. What have you made of how he and they are handling their quarterback situation, and how do you think it ultimately plays out there?
2: I mean, in all honesty, Jim, there's nothing worse than doing radio hits and being asked about Seattle because... I have no idea what they're doing. Like, I don't get what they're doing. I'm
1: not sure they do either.
2: I know, right? I mean, Pete Carroll's a 72-year-old, very energetic, Silver Fox guy, but he's still older. And I don't know that he's – you know, is he there for a full reboot? You know, we understand that this team wants to – like, like, my best guess is that they want to try to recreate, like, the 2011, 2012, 2013 run, which is nice in theory – but the problem is you have to land a bunch of late-round picks that blossom into elite defenders. You have to get a guy like Earl Thomas uh, on your team. You have to get a guy like Russell O'Coon on your team. You then have to land a third-round pick as a uh, you know, potential budding game manager franchise quarterback type. And everything has to be you know, in beach mode in there, too. And so like, I, 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 I think they're trying to run it back the way that it worked originally. And to do so with Drew Locke and Kenneth Walker – and a better offensive lineman they've had the last few years. But, but also, I just have questions about the defense and, the, like, the run game. Because you want to be a great defense and you want to be a, a lethal run game, but I'm not sure that the pieces are all there to, to pull it off. And, like all, like, all credit to, you know, Pete Carroll is a great head coach. Um, if they pull it off, more kudos to him. But I just don't understand what the plan is.
1: I agree with you, Will. I think that he's got great energy for a guy his age, or anyway, very, very good head coach. But rebuilding around a seventy-one-year-old head coach instead of a thirty-three-year-old quarterback, who well, I think has got game left, to me is kind of curious, to say the least. Will Brinson joining us? Will, what do you think the next few months are going to look like for Baker Mayfield?
2: Jim, I thought you know, speaking of Seattle, too, Baker did that interview, whatever podcast that was. And apologies to the guy; I think he's famous, but you know, he, he did the podcast with him and. Um, his dog's like laying there on the couch looking comatose. And Baker's like, well, yeah, you know, a few weeks ago, I would have said I'm going to the Colts, but now it's probably just going to be Seattle. And then Pete Carroll the next day goes out and signs Geno Smith as if to send a message to Baker Mayfield, like you're not just coming to Seattle, buddy. And I I mean, I think it's going to be weird for Baker because the Panthers clearly got involved with the, the Browns during the draft and did the same sort of thing that Seattle did when it became apparent that the Browns, We're not willing to, you know, negotiate at a reasonable level. The Panthers walked away and then just promptly drafted Matt Corral and said, we're out of the Bakersweep stakes. So now there's almost nowhere for him to go where he would actually be a starter or or compete to be a starter in 2022. I think it's possible it ends up actually being a, a, you know, quote-unquote good thing for him. Like, let's say Tampa Bay says, all right, you know, we got Tom Brady. You know, we drafted Kyle Trask, we have Blaine Gabby there, but, you know, maybe Baker is a great reclamation project to sit behind Tom for a year, and they go and get him. Uh, I don't know that they'll trade for him. I think at some point the Browns are just going to have to, like, eat the cost of, of having traded for Deshaun Watson and realizing that you can't bring Baker Mayfield to camp and have him compete with Deshaun Watson and have him out there, it just, it's just a weird message to send. It's just a weird look for everyone involved. And it's hard to imagine them trying to pull that off. I agree with you.
1: Will Brunson joining us, that's good, and be – that is like the worst-case scenario, and you know they weren't thinking that that was even a possibility, yet here we are. Will, what about your expectations for Trey Lance this season? How do you see the 49ers handling that throughout the year? Or actually, yeah. throughout the offseason?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, Jim, is actually a little bit easier than the Baker situation because, you know, we know the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan specifically, and Debo Samuel, by the way. Like, I wouldn't sleep on Debo's love for Jimmy G as part of the reason he wants a, he wants a deal. I, I think that they can say, okay, Jimmy's hurt. We can't trade him. You know, we now they have the problem with the salary cap issues of. You know, needing to sign the their draft picks, although they don't really have a bunch of high draft picks that will cost a lot. They have less than a million in salary cap space. They'd love to trade Jimmy and roll with Trey, I think. But the problem is, you know, you don't want to just let Jimmy G go for free when he's a reasonable cost, you know, high-end high veteran. A team like the Panthers, I think, would still like to get Jimmy Garoppolo in there. Um, you know, maybe there are other teams that would be interested in, in bringing him in to compete. I think the Seahawks would like to sign him as a free agent. I can't see those two teams trading I think the 49ers will let this play out as long as they possibly can and keep him on the roster and let him get healthy and see if they can deal him. And if they can stand to the salary cap and get into the training camp, I wouldn't be surprised if they just let him compete with Trey Lance and push him a little bit. Because I still have at least a little bit of reservation that Kyle Shanahan is completely comfortable with going all Trey Lance this season.
1: Well, I agree with that entirely. Will Brinson joining us on There's no doubt about that. Let me ask you about the Bills. Will, they have their hearts ripped out, of course, in the final 13 seconds against Kansas City. We've seen some teams suffer a loss like that, I mean, a gutting loss like that, and never bounce back. How do you see Buffalo responding?
2: It's, it'll be interesting because it looks like, Jim, and the, Sam, the great Sam Farmer of the L.A. Times reported, on uh I think today actually that the Bills are likely going to be the opener against the Rams on the Thursday night game to kick off the NFL season. Huge game, right? A fun game. And then the the Bills are gonna be part of the Monday night football doubleheader against the Titans the following week, which we already know is going to go down. So you know, they gotta be ready to get off the mat and, and perform. You know, I think two, there are two things that maybe like when you think about what happened with the Bills last year. One I thought, you know, Bill Belichick in that first game where he went full Navy on them and ran the ball down their throats, and then Sean McDermott lost his cool about Belichick coaching them up, and then the next week, you know, they're down big to Tampa, and he's like crying to Tracy Wolfson at halftime for some reason. Uh, you know, that was like, man, is this team soft and fragile mentally? Because that, that would be really surprising. But then they managed to rally and get get it all together and make that deep playoff run. So. I think they'll bounce back. You know, they're a team that Brandon Bean's done an incredible job building out that roster. Uh, McDermott's a very good head coach, and Josh Allen is just a stud. The, the one reservation I'd have about Buffalo is that Brian Gable leaving. You know, Ken Dorsey by all accounts, going to be a great offensive coordinator. But, you know, will there be some bumps in the road to start, particularly with these high-profile games and that transition as an offensive coordinator?
1: Well, Brinson, my guest. Well, one last thought. Philadelphia brought in A.J. Brown during the draft. Given how they turned their season around last year, what do you make of the roster going into this season and how high do you think their ceiling is?
2: So, I'm a – I mean, everybody likes him, but I'm a a, – A.J. Brown's, like, up there, like – in the hierarchy of players, I love like with like, like with members of my family. And Jordan Davis is maybe my favorite player in this draft class. So the Eagles got outstanding marks for me on on day one for for their moves. And frankly, Jim, I you know I went and bet them during the first round of the draft to win the NFC East, to win the NFC, and to win the Super Bowl. Now I don't think that's happening. You know it's a bit of a long shot, like thirty-five to one to win the Super Bowl, and I think 20, eighteen to one maybe to win the NFC. But when you look at the conference. I mean, and you look at the division, like, specifically, you know, Dallas didn't get a lot better this offseason. If anything, they got worse. The Giants have made it clear, you know, with this latest move. Like, I like what the Giants have done, but they've made it clear they are rebuilding. And then Washington's trotting out Carson Wentz. I mean, that, so I feel, I feel like the Eagles, I mean, two to one or more to win that division is great value. And you get in the dance, and I know people are down on Jalen Hurts, but the guy's improved, I feel like, since he got to the NFL. You know, he settled into one system. And they have a ton of depth on the offensive line and defensive line. Like they are like Jordan Davis is probably not going to play hundred percent of the snaps for him. Andre Dillard, their former first round pick probably not going to be, you know, maybe not a starting tackle. So they're loaded at the, at the, on the lines. They've got a quarterback that has shown a lot of upside, performance-wise, and now they got the wide receivers and and the skill guys. I I think this is a really good football team.
1: And this is why I go to this guy as often as I do, a CBS Sports Senior Writer, host of the Pick 6 podcast, and a dude who's just got it. Will, great job. Appreciate you. Thanks for picking me up. Always good to have you on the show, Will. Thanks.
2: right, fine, Jim. Talk to you later, man.
1: Oh, yeah. I love that sound. Always puts a smile on my face. The reason for that is Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. Trust this when this podcast started you would not believe the types of things that we were selling compare that to where we are right now and i understand that journey i understand the success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path and i love how shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe and like ours Shopify powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. What a great product. Find out for yourself. Go to shopify.com rome all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. You have to try this on. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now. That's shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. This says, Dear Rim Jome, Yesterday was the literal worst day of my life when 10 o'clock came on and you were not on the air. I hope you enjoyed your vacation, riding your hog to Wisconsin or wherever. Signed, Drew Mills. Yeah, Drew, I doubt that that was the worst day of your life. The literal worst day of your life. I mean, come on with that. And I've got a bunch of those, too. All right, so you probably are wondering how I miss a Monday show coming off a weekend like that, right? These guys, a lot of you are like, hey, how was the beach, yo? How was it on that hog, yo? Hope you enjoyed that vacation day, yo. I mean, come on. You have to be wondering why I'm missing a Monday show, right? I never miss a Monday show. But it's a fair question. Like, where were you? How do you miss that show, especially given how many weeks you know you're going to get Rome in the summer? I get it. I understand that. Just know this. It's not like I had a choice. Yeah, I know. Come on, Rome. You always have a choice. Yeah, not always. I mean, I guess I could have ignored that jury duty notice the way so many of you apparently do. No disrespect intended, which means that a number of you are about to be disrespected. However, if one of you randos decides not to follow through on your call to serve and you get nailed for it, that's the equivalent of a tree falling in the forest. None of us will know. None of us will hear it. None of us will give a damn. However, if I try to pull something like that and I get nailed and you do hear about it, I'm the most hypocritical D-bag ever. Now, I know a couple of you smart Alex are thinking, you are anyway, Rome. To which I would say, you're entitled to your opinion, no matter how wrong that opinion is. However, if I just ignored my jury duty notice and I did get nailed, then you would be right. I would be a hypocritical D-bag. So, I was not going to do that. We have a justice system While not perfect, it does need to have jurors to function. And I'm no better, I'm no more important, I'm no different than anybody else who gets the call. So, of course, I went. Now, was I one of those people who was super curious to see the inside of the courtroom? Was I one of those people who was really curious to see how that process really works? Did I need a few days Or even a few weeks away from you clones. Is that what I wanted? Honestly? Hell no. Not during Smack Off season. Not during any season. Now, would I have done it if called to duty? Yes, because that's the right thing to do. But did I want to do it? Do I have a need to experience that particular thing? No. (laughs) No. Just being real. I didn't have this great curiosity. I didn't have this need to know. But I did the right thing. So let me quickly lay out the day for you. They get you in there at 745 sharp. They sit you in this big room. They give you some instructions. And then weirdly, I thought, this judge rolls in. And my man is really comfortable and really happy. I didn't expect that at all. Like a really personable dude. A judge. A judge. And this judge, an actual judge, does like this stand-up for like 15 minutes where he loosens everybody up. He's telling us all about himself and his background and his history. And then in so many words says, yeah, I know. In so many words, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, I know, I know. With the exception of a few of you losers who really have nothing better to do, none of you want to be here. Even some of you other losers who also have nothing better to do don't want to be here and are stuck here. So the judge is like, I get it. I get that. But, and now now he's really into the cell, but you're really not stuck here. You may have no choice, but you're really not stuck here. In fact, you really don't have to be here. You get to be here and it's actually right fire. And it's actually pretty cool. And here's why being a juror is awesome and important and something you will always remember and why you'll be making a big difference, etc. etc. And then my guy lays it all out and he's laying it on pretty thick. And then they show you this predictably cheesy video that looks like it cost them maybe 10 bucks to make from like 20 years ago. And then the honorable whoever he was, is just up there spitting game about how this is going to be the experience of a lifetime. So by the time this guy's done, and he's dressed, you know, pretty casually, not in a robe, but, and no gavel. So he's just up there, and he's got the energy, man. He's got the pitch. He's got the sell. By the time my guy's done, I am hyped. I am fired up. I'm like, damn, Put me in, coach. I mean, judge. I mean, this dude was freaking Vince Lombardi behind the podium. By the time this judge was done, I was ready to run through a brick wall in order to be a juror. The hell I was. But he did do a little bit maybe to open my mind up some. Just not enough for me to want to do it. Still didn't want to do it. So now it's maybe 8.30 in the morning, right? They've gotten us ready for 45 minutes. They've already said ahead of time, everybody be prepared to be here until 5 p.m. Remember, we were there at 7.45. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, I grind this thing out. I grind out a full day until 5 p.m. I get a bunch of work done. I do not get my name called. That's a dub. Miss one show, get a bunch of prep done, clear for another year. So, I set up my base of operations. I mark out my territory like those losers at Starbucks do when they break out their lappers, their printers, their mice, and their external speakers. And I start my workday. And I'm feeling it, man. So far, so good. Now it's 930. They come back on mic. They tell us, we've earned a half-hour break. We can do whatever we want until 10 o'clock, even leave and retrieve something from our car, which is about a quarter of a mile away, if we want to, but be back at 10 sharp. There's going to be an updated announcement. So I go get a cup of ass, literal ass from the cafeteria. Maybe the worst cup of coffee I've ever had in my life. I don't even make it back to what I'm now calling my office before I throw it away. A cup of ass. 10 o'clock rolls around. They tell us now, here's your update. There is no update. In fact, y'all can float. You can walk around. You can leave the room. We will alert you when necessary. You're good. I'm all right. No news is good news. 10 o'clock. 10.30. 11 o'clock. I'm getting stuff done. It's almost lunchtime. I know at lunchtime, they're going to, quote, cut us loose for another break, right? Not that I'm going anywhere, but I'm pretty happy with things. But then the mood changed. The tone changed. It's 11.30. It sounds official. They're calling everybody back in. I'm thinking, oh, hell no. Here we go. I knew it. I knew I was going to get assigned to a case. I knew it. The person with the mic says, there is in fact a case this morning. Or there was but both sides decided to settle, you can all leave. We can all leave? Just like that? All of us? Yes, all of you. You have completed your jury duty. And I'm like, oh, hell yes. Hell yes. One case? That's it? I thought there were like a million cases going on. Anyway, I was not about to argue that incredible bit of fortune. We're all happy as hell, except for those two losers who really did want to be there. Man, I jumped in that big-ass line, turned in my big-ass laminated juror pass, got my big-ass certification of completion, and I bounced the hell out of there before lunch. What I'm saying to you is, what a glorious morning at the Santa Ana Courthouse. And that's why I was not here the Monday after that unbelievable weekend. I was not at the beach. I was not on my hog. Dodger Jano and I were not riding around. I had an actual reason, an excused absence. It was a good reason. Let's just be glad it was only one show, yo. Let's just be glad it was only one show. So yes, clones, you're lucky. It was a one-day or It was not a trial of the century. You know, one of those crazy murder cases where I'd get sequestered in some motel in the middle of nowhere for months. No outside contact of any kind. Can't see the fam. No TV. No phone. Just a bunch of DVDs. I can't leave the room except to get bused to the courthouse. No Instagram. No Twitter. Can you imagine day 87? And me and the 11 others are still deliberating. Shout out to that judge, too. Do you know how badass of a pitch man you have to be to get people hyped to be on jury duty? I was ready to be the head juror. Foreman in the box, yo. You get to be here. I mean, I know that phrase, but still an all-time Jedi mind trick. It'd be like being a dentist and telling a patient before root canal, hey, you don't have to do this. You get to do this. Or how would you like to be the guy lubing you up for colonoscopy you don't have to do this you get to do this Uh next time I'm sitting here listening to you and your terrible phone calls I'm just gonna tell myself my affirmations I don't have to do this I get to do this I don't have to take these calls I get to take these calls Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Kevin Weeks is my guest. Kevin, there is no better time of year to talk to you than this time of year, my man. How you living? How you feeling?
0: Feeling great, Romy. What about you? The Derby's over, so how are you doing now that the
1: Derby's passed? Man, that was an amazing thing. I haven't even gotten to it yet today, Kevin, like (laughs) I mentioned. Because, yeah, Yeah. 80 to 1, because I was not here yesterday, so it was an amazing thing to see. I'm going to get into that later on. But let me ask you about the postseason. Like, we know this. The NHL postseason really is the ultimate war of attrition. If you look at tonight's action alone, Kevin, of the four series tonight, all four are tied up at two games apiece. So when you look at tonight's action, can you give me a storyline or two that you're most focused on heading into this evening?
0: Yeah, I would say what we thought would have been the most uh, the most compelling series maybe in all of pro sports in the postseason, in Minnesota and the uh, St. Louis Blues. That's living up to the billing now, especially the last two games. Two outstanding teams, ton of star power, a ton of superstar power. The Minnesota Wild have Kuro Kaprizov, who's one of the best players on the planet. But I like their team in general. They've got a lot of depth. And then in the case of the St. Louis Blues, I'd say about 75% of their team was there when they won the Stanley Cup a couple of years back against the Boston Bruins. Chief Rube is doing a great job behind the bench. Vladimir Tarasenko is healthy for them once again. Jordan Kyrou is a budding star, so is Robert Thomas. So I love that matchup. That series is great. And then another one that I'll focus on is uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, coming in, smart money would have said the Lightning would have probably won this one in five or six, although the Leafs had a record-breaking season for them. But we know that their postseason history has been very challenging. Back in my hometown of Toronto, let, let's put it that way, outside of the Raptors. So that's, uh, that's really compelling, the fact that it's 2-2, that Tampa evened up that series uh, in Game 4. I played exceptionally well back in Tampa, so let's shift to Toronto tonight.
1: Kevin Weeks joining us. I'm glad you mentioned those two series because I was going to ask you specifically about those two. I mean, when you look at Toronto and Tampa Bay, you've got the two-time defending champs, the Lightning. They're in a dogfight. As you mentioned, Toronto is so hungry because it's been so long. It's a fascinating matchup. In your mind, Kevin, what's the longer shot? the Lightning pulling off the 3 or the Maple Leafs finally snapping their cup drought? And how do you see the rest of that series playing out? I'd say
0: the longer shot, the Leafs finally snapping the, the cup drought, because mm-hmm. it goes back to 1967. And I know it well, of course, having grown up there. So I would say for Tampa, the 3 is a near impossibility, but if there's anybody that can do it, it's them. They've got all the pieces. They're battle-tested. They've got the recipe book of what it takes to win the Stanley Cup. They're repeat champs. Patty Maroon is a three-peat because he won it with St. Louis and then won two in Tampa. He's the only person on planet Earth that's had a three-peat the last uh, three years, I think, in in the world of major professional sports. So he's got a chance for a four-piece to hit him with a Kit Kat. But uh, I love Tampa's team. The Leafs have come so far, i got to say. Austin Matthews out of Arizona. Uh, he's one of the best players in the world. For me, he's the most complete player in the world. I love Austin Matthews' game. The Leafs certainly are led by him and Mitch Marner, but Tap has got the recipe. So if I'm saying the longer shot, it's the least getting out of the first round.
1: All right, Kevin Weeks joining us. You mentioned Austin Matthews. So let me ask you this the nominees for the Hart Trophy were announced last week. All eyes, of course, are on Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. You just said Matthews is the most complete player you think right now. So is it McDavid's hardware to lose, or can you make an argument for Matthews?
0: I can make a strong argument for for Matthews, and that's no slight to Connor McDavid. I think overall Connor McDavid no question, last five years, has been the best player in the league. But Austin Matthews, to me, is now the most complete player in the league, and he scores the most. He's the best goal scorer on the planet in our league. So all that to say, he's also rounded out his game. When you're the best goal scorer and you put up a 60 spot for the first time in Toronto Maple Leafs history for an original six franchise, and you're, and you're good defensively, and you're good in the faceoff circle, and you can make plays, I don't know, man, that's, that's an all-rounder for me. So I look at him... He's a real unicorn uh, in his own way. I give him the slight nod, but also don't sleep on Igor Shostyukhin from the Rangers, uh, their goalie here in New York. Had not for Shostyukhin, there's no way the Rangers have anywhere near the season they did. He stole a lot of wins for them this season.
1: We're talking to Kevin Weeks. You know, Kevin, you said and to your point that the 3 P is more likely than Toronto actually getting their name on the Cup. But can you imagine if and when that were to ever happen? It's been since 1967. If Matthews is the guy to get them there, I mean, can you imagine the icon and legend that he would be? Can you explain this? Like, Kevin, it's such a different thing, Toronto, yeah. Montreal, in these Canadian cities. But if you were to isolate Toronto, can you explain what it's like to live and play there <laughs> for those athletes and the pressure that comes along with being a part of an original six franchise that has not won at all since 67. Yeah.
0: Let me tell you, right. Like in growing up there, even in youth hockey, like minor hockey, eight, nine, ten years old, Peeley, you name it. Like we'd have a thousand people on a Friday night at our games. Wow. Like, We had scouts coming out to watch us at 11, 12 years old, NHL scouts, pro college, you name it, junior. So that's how you know how much of a hotbed it is. It literally is like, it's a hot pot. It's, it's like a big hot crock pot or a pot of chili. And the pressure is that way since your kids, let alone now for these guys playing at the Leafs, you know, for the Leafs at the NHL level. I look back at the Raptors and what my man Masai Ujiri did with the Raps. Him leading them to the Larry OB is beyond incredible. And there were two and a half million people at that parade. And for any of the listeners that know, you know, we have Carabana every summer. I'm Caribbean. My parents are from Barbados. So we have Caribana every summer, the big Caribbean festival up there. And the parade does about one five one six million people. Okay, the Raptors almost double that. If the Leafs win, there could very well be about four plus million people in the parade. Literally, I think it might end up being the biggest parade in, in the history of professional sports if and or when they ever win a Stanley Cup. But yeah, the pressure is immense. Everybody lives and breathes the game, lives and dies the game. So it's a unique opportunity. As, as my man Tim Grover said, pressure is a privilege. So uh, they've earned that privilege. They've had a record-setting season, not only individually with the likes of, of the great Austin Matthews, but team-wise, it's a big opportunity for them. They've got a great chance to to vanquish the, uh, the repeat Stanley Cup champs.
1: So, Kevin, you just name-checked two of my favorite guys, and that should probably come as no surprise to you. I love Masai. I haven't talked to Masai in a while, but I'm not sure what impressed me more, the fact that the Raptors won the Lario or that my guy Masai mm-hmm. was like the last remaining celebrity on a BlackBerry. I was fascinated by both those things. <laughs> what about Grover? Did you Do you know, are you connected to Grover as a fellow keynote guy, or have you worked out with him or both?
0: No, I've just I connected with him. I've always followed him from afar, and then, of course, social media became a thing and, and it's you know it's advanced to what it is now so it's kind of amplified connectivity so I've gotten a chance to meet him and his agent Sherry Wank had some lunch with them in Chicago uh, been in touch with them both uh, I think they're doing transformative things they're doing a lot of what we do in the world of professional sports but that's not necessarily seen by everyday folks and, and in everyday life per se or it's not identified as much so Uh, T.G. and Attack Athletics. He's the man. Sherry's Sherry's awesome. They're great at what they do. Tim's the best on the planet. So I'm very happy to call him uh, a friend and, and to call them both a friend going forward. I love everything that they're doing right now. Winning. It's all about winning. And as I told you, we learned that at eight years old, six years old playing. And you don't only win on the playing surface, but we win in everyday life as well. So. Um, that, that's why I think he, he's been amazing. He's he, doing
1: awesome He stuff. is. He is. He, Grover and Sherry, I know them both. They're both intense. Yep. They're both a force. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Kevin Weeks is joining us. Kevin, before you go, you were on game one of the Avs and Preds. Colorado is mm. the first to advance. Overall, are they the ones to beat?
0: I think in the West, it's a, I'm splitting atoms between Colorado and Calgary. Calgary has been money so far this year as well, all season long. And they played playoff a playoff game style. All season long under Daryl Sutter, bringing those two rings from the LA Kings that he got and that he In there. I'd say in the case of Colorado Avalanche, they're so, they're so dynamic. They can attack you in so many different ways with their speed, with their tempo. Till McCar, for me, is the best defenseman in the world. Uh, I, I then looked at Nate McKinnon, one of the best players in the world. McKinnon skates like he had the V12 engine, honestly. Like, he's like a Bugatti out there. You, you just can't catch him. He gets so much separation. I'd say it's a split between the abs and the flames. In the West, and in the East, as you know, all eight teams that made the playoffs, every one of them had 100 points That's or insane. better. So That, 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 that is an insane it's stat. It's wild. It's literally wild. We're going to do the uh, NHL draft lottery momentarily uh, at the NHL Network. It's going to air on ESPN tonight at 6, I think between 6 and 6.30 Eastern. And what's crazy about that? Is some people might be saying, oh, it's just a draft. What are you kidding me? It's, our league is so hyper-competitive. Look at the Eastern Conference right now, and that's how hyper-competitive it is. So on a night like tonight, where you have the draft lottery, you know, this could very well have impact the immediate or near future of any franchise. So it makes it all the more compelling, man.
1: Kevin, can you explain that? And that, that is an amazing stat that I meant to bring mm-hmm. up. You've got eight teams with 100 or more points in the East alone. How do you explain that?
0: The, the way I really explain it is, it's the competitive balance in our league, and, and I think What's really interesting is look at all the East players that we have, all the stars and superstars we have in the East, right? So, you know, you talk about everybody up in Toronto. You talk about Stephen Stamkos and Hedman and Vasilevsky down in Tampa. Florida's got Barkov and Huberto, who had a franchise and league record-setting season. You go basically every team. Washington still has Ovi, Backstrom, Kuzi. So you go up and down the, the rosters, and you're like stars, superstars, stars, superstars. And to their credit, a lot of those aforementioned players have won uh, and or close to winning. And not only are they great individually, but they, they're team first players. So when you have your superstars playing like lunch pail players in terms of their commitment, blue collar, their grit, being team first players, you know you're cooking with gas. And that's really what's happened with all E teams in the East. It's been I impressive love, to watch. I,
1: I love that description you just had. Kevin Weeks joining us. One last thought. You mentioned the Rangers. So the Rangers had one of their best teams in years, but they've run into a Penguins mm-hmm. team that has scored seven goals in back-to-back games. They've got a 3-1 series lead. Kevin, what do you make of Sid at 34 and still crushing it? What do you make of the way he and the Penguins are playing right now? And what's their ceiling?
0: I mean, here's the thing with Sid. and getting to know Sid and, and having a pretty good relationship with Sid, I would say this. what I love about Sid is he's all hockey all the time. His whole life is structured around being great, being the best player he can be and making the biggest contribution to his team daily, nightly practice, workouts, recovery, you name it. He's all in one of the best players in the history of the world. I think right now he's six in our league for sure. He's six all time in points in the Stanley cup playoffs. And when you think of all the great players that have played plus he has 1400 regular season points. Is going to go down as one of the GOATs for sure. And that sets the tone. But, Romy, think about this. You've got Sid, Hall of Fame, three rings. Gino Malkin, Hall of Fame, three rings. Jeff Carter, maybe Hall of Fame. is a third-line center, two rings from L.A. So down the middle, they've got eight Stanley Cup rings in their top three centers. Like, <laughs> that's pretty unreal. Does that help? That
1: is that right? beneficial?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Does that help? Exactly. So that's basically like having – three of your wideouts that are Hall of Famers, you know what I mean, in, in your receiver's core on any team. Like, that's – it's unheard of. So, I got to say, that strike down the middle really helps them. But that game one in this series uh, at Madison Square Garden, I was working – I was doing the mini – I was doing mini St. Louis. But that game one at the Garden was must-see TV. It's one of the most iconic games ever played at the Garden. And Pittsburgh was able to snatch that one 4-3. And, of course, Igor Shashirkin made seventy. 79- Remember when MJ had 55 points at the Garden? Yes, of course. Chesterkin had 79 points. Like, It's one of the most incredible individual performances in the history of Madison Square Garden. But uh, to Pittsburgh's credit, they're down to their third goalie, Louis Domingue, who's playing really well for them. They snatched that game. And really, that's the game that turned the series
1: for me. I oh, know. It's amazing. To, for that guy to come off the bench ice cold and do what he had to do in that moment and to turn that seriously, it's in, just incredible. Like Kevin, you can speak to that, right? How hard is that? As somebody who played it's, goalie, you've lived that life yeah. your entire life. How hard is that to do?
0: It's so hard because the Stanley Cup playoff games are hyper intense. You and I, when we visit during the playoffs, I tell you all the time, the rink's 200 by 85. In terms of dimensions. In the playoffs, it feels like it's 150 long by 50 wide. Mm. You can't think. You can't breathe. It's so hyper intense on every possession. So to come in cold off the bench, that's basically like saying, okay, heaven forbid, TB12 goes down. We are in the third quarter. We've got the ball. We're first in whatever, 30. And now you've got to come off the bench and run the offense and try to win the game and try to do that, like, this, that's how difficult it is. So wild because our sport and our position specifically, like quarterback, it's a very feel-intuitive position, right? It's a, so much, so many subtleties in the movements and the biomechanics and your timing and your positioning and everything, your reads. It's, you just, the goalies have no margin for error. So what Louis Dominguez has been able to do in light of Casey Smith, who played really well as their two, and also in place of their starter, Tristan Jari, who's, a, who's a, an all-star this year. It's amazing what Dominguez has done, but you got to give a lot of props to my boy Andy Kyoto, who's a goalie coaster in Pittsburgh, former NHL goalie himself. He's done a great job with their three goalies this year.
1: Hey, Kevin, one last thought. I agree with you. One last thought, mm-hmm. just big picture. And You and I will talk this time of year, every year, no matter what. And I talked to Ray Ferraro last week. The rubber yep. came on. It just seems yep. like my oh, particular audience, these are all great guys, you know this, but yeah. the audience seems like they're more into it now than in recent memory. Is it because we're on a bigger platform or does it feel that way to you?
0: Yeah, of course. We're on a much bigger platform. I mean, I think it's great for our sport. I was talking to Deputy Commissioner... Bill Daly about this, and Commissioner Bettman. Our our league's where it deserves to be. It needs to be elevated on the proper pedestal relative to the league and to the sport and our amazing players and our great fans. And I think, if anything, I don't want to say it legitimized our sport by being back on Walt Disney and on ESPN and Hulu and ABC and, of course, on on, uh, TNT, the Turner Company, but I don't want to say that it legitimizes us, but it kind of does. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't tell you how many players... I talk to people in the business, coaches, GMs, owners, that are just raving about the fact that our games are where they should be. They're getting the coverage that they should in terms of the exposure on those platforms. And you know how players are. Players are competitive. Players hear this, and they're like, hey, listen, I love Braun. I love Doncic. I love all these guys. I love TB12. I love all these guys, Ronaldo, Sir Lewis Hamilton. But, yo, we're in the league too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, we need to be there. We want to showcase McDavid, Dreisaitl, um Makar, McKinnon, Schistjerkin, Panarin, Kaprizov. We want our players to continue to be household names as well. They're great at what they do, and they do it on ice, and they do it on skates. And we have some of the most passionate fans in the world of professional sports as well. So I think it's been great for our sport to be back on those two platforms. And, of course, you know, being on the NHL Network with 24-hour coverage as well. Everybody tunes in. It's on in every dressing room, every weight room. And the fans tell us that they're watching all the time, too. So we're just happy to be able to serve the fans, as are you. You know this. You're a Hall of Famer. You know what it takes. It's just a matter of bringing it to the fans every day, and that's an earned privilege.
1: That's it. And I love the game. I love the product, and I love the guys who play it. It's great. He will be on ESPN2's call for the Caps and Panthers. Game 5 tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. NHL Network is airing live coverage before and after every single game with NHL Now and NHL Tonight. He is a broadcaster for the NHL Network, ESPN, and TSN. He is Kevin Weeks. Kevin, appreciate you so much. What a blast that was, but it
0: always is, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, man. Keep up the great work, Romy.
1: The future will be great, but today is just as incredible. Meet Nissan's most advanced lineup. If you can't get enough adrenaline, there's the all-new 400 HP Nissan Z. Or for your off-road adventures, check out the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. If you're more of a spontaneous road trip type of person, then hop in the Nissan Pathfinder. And for something more electric, there's the stylish Nissan Aria. So let's enjoy the ride. 2023 Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. If you have not picked up your jaw from Saturday's Kentucky Derby, you are not the only one, point blank. I mean, what happened at Churchill Downs in the run for the Roses is something that we may never see ever again. Uh, like literally almost in any sport, it really was one of one bleep. For context, Friday morning, a horse with one career win named Rich Strike wasn't even in the Derby. And by Saturday night, that 80 to 1 long shot, Rich Strike, had two career wins, one being the Kentucky Bleeping Derby. Two for me. There's not enough time left in this show for me to explain how insane that is that that horse wasn't even in the field had one win and now has two, and one of them is the Derby. I'm telling you, you may never, ever see anything like that ever again. And it that in and of itself is more remarkable than the horse being 80-1 to 1 and winning. And then the way the horse won was insane. After an opening half mile, Rich Strike was ahead of exactly two horses. Two horses in a 20-field horse race, meaning this late ad who had not won any of his last five races would have to kick in his closing run and navigate through a bigger crowd than he or any horse is ever going to see. And by the way, that horse was a $30,000 claimer. This is some pretty low level stuff. A $30,000 thousand dollar claimer in other words anybody could have had that horse could have claimed that horse for 30 gur and he's in the field running against six and seven figure animals with the finest pedigrees and among the very best in the entire world best breed best trainers best jockeys richest owners And in no way do I mean any disrespect. Normally I say no disrespect and somebody's being disrespected. I really mean it. No disrespect to these connections of Rich Strike, who I could not be happier for. But they're none of those things. The richest, the best, the most successful, the best pedigreed. They'd be the first ones to tell you that. I'd be the first one to admit prior to that race, I hadn't heard of any of them. Hell, the jockey on that horse had never even won a graded stake race prior to winning arguably the hardest race in the world with an absolutely astonishing ride. I mean, the, the whole thing is so insane. I'm trying to think of an analogy to explain how unlikely it all was. It'd be like some some driver, some journeyman driver running on some super low-level circuit in auto racing on the dirt tracks, just showing up at the Daytona 500 in some rig that he and a few buddies soldered together and somehow won the race against the best drivers and the best owners and the best technology that the sport has to offer. It, it literally is not only one of the most unlikely things that I've ever seen in horse racing, but in all of sports, in all the years I've done this, it was that much of a holy bleep moment and especially the way the race set up. Summer is tomorrow led that race at first in suicidal-type fractions. I mean, they were running so fast up front in such a long race, like crazy fractions, 21.78, and then the half mile was running 45.36. That's code for gassing himself, especially in a race of that distance, a distance many of them have never run before and never will ever again. Let me give you an example. We ran straight up G in a win and you're in derby race in New Mexico. It was a tad shorter than the Derby. He went out in similar fashion, burning up the track on the lead and gassed out terribly. He's fine, but we gave him time off after that race, and he was nowhere near the money. So we know that he doesn't want that distance. When you see horses running that fast on the lead in a race that far, pretty safe to assume they're going to back up and they're going to set it up for the closers. But even then, one of the other major challenges for the Derby is you never see a field that big ever again. That's a crazy amount of traffic. Something else that a lot of them have never dealt with. And as a result of that track and that distance, they get a ton of dirt or mud kicked back in their face. Something else horses normally don't react well to. How many of us would, right? So, all these factors are going against this horse. It's a $30,000 claimer. It's in a distance that most of them have never run and may never run ever again. They're in traffic they've never been in. They're getting dirt kicked in their face where that's never happened before. That's why you see the jockeys. And the jockeys have all these goggles on. They have multiple goggles. They take them off during the race. So, at the three-quarter mile mark, the cream starts to separate, right? Epicenter and Zandon take control in what looked like a battle for the ages in the home stretch. Two favorites doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Exude class, separate from the others, and give us a match race. You know, think of shared belief and California Chrome and the San Antonio Stakes headed for home, head-to-head, and completely running away from the field. That's how this looked like it was going to be. Until Rich Strike started weaving in and out of traffic and then got shot out of a bleeping cannon, swallowing up enormous chunks of real estate and taking aim on the allegedly much, much classier leaders. And these leaders have no idea that this anonymous rando has gotten to the rail and is closing like a freaking freight train. Again, if you want to see something amazing, go find an overhead replay of the race. And it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Hell, listen to the call again. Even Larry Colmas, who's a legend, did not see Rich Strike coming up the rail until very late. And then, like everybody else, he lost his proverbial poo.
0: Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sampton is coming after him. Epicenter and sanded these two, strive for Ryan, Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. that center's is handed. Rich Strike is coming up on the inside. Oh, my goodness. The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Rich Strike has done it in a stunning, unbelievable upset.
1: I mean, Forget absolutely. Rich Strike,
0: lightning
2: strike. That's one of the biggest upsets in the history of the Kentucky Derby.
1: Yeah, in the history of sports, really. I mean, bleeping goosebumps. I mean this. I watched it again this morning. I don't know any of these people. I've never spoken to any of these connections. I've never even heard of any of these people. And I watched that race this morning, and I have no connection to any of them, and I got absolute bleeping goosebumps. I mean, some of the most surreal moments of my entire life have been in horse racing. I cannot even begin to imagine what it must have felt like to be the owner the trainer, the jockey, the groom, or anybody else associated with this horse. It was one of the most amazing things I have ever seen. Literally, I got chills watching it again this morning, even on Tuesday. So, like, maybe you don't give a bleep about horse racing. But even if you don't, you have to admit, that was one of the coolest things you've ever seen. And that's exactly what sports, sports, not horse racing, but sports, Or all about, right? The underdog coming from the back of the pack as an 80-to-1 dog to beat a couple of badass, expensive, classy, pedigreed horses that were supposed to win. The biggest underdog since 1913. Since I wasn't around then, I had to ask Ritt what it was like the next time that happened. Last time it happened. You know, as evidence, you think of what? The biggest underdog ever, biggest upset ever, Buster Douglas. 42-1 to 1 when he iced Iron Mike. Rich Strike was nearly double that. Let's go to Toronto.
3: Billy in Toronto. What's up, Billy? How are you? Hey, Jim. It's been a long time, man. I've listened to you for, for ages, and it finally feels good to finally get uh, get on and have a chat with you.
1: You got it. What's <laughs> up?
3: Listen, Jim. Uh, I, I played the horses way too long. It was a problem in my life, and thank God I stopped betting them. But Jim, I'll play every now and then. And when the Kentucky Derby comes along, I have uh, no problem laying down a little bit of money. Was having a real good day, Jim. And I did have the, I had the one horse to win the win the race. And Jimmy, I will tell you this: you're talking about that overhead view. Have another look at that overhead view, and look at that one horse, and tell me he is not the best horse in the race with the trouble he went through and he definitely beats Rich Strike if he gets any kind of trip at all. But, Jim, the reason why I'm calling is very simply put, and watching a ton of horse races, I think I know what happened, and I think it was the Bob Baffert effect, Jim. My God, this horse, first of all, in the 21 hole, he can't get into the gate. There's no horses around to bug him, but he doesn't want to go in the gate. Like you say, he's wanting to eat the other horse uh, after he wins the race. The owner comes on, and while he's talking, he cannot look straight into the camera. He's looking down all the time. And finally, Jim, this horse has been 30 lengths behind most of the horses in this race. It's last two or three races. Jim, what that tells me is the medication hasn't settled in. He's not used to running it. This was, to me, a classic case of horse rage. I... Uh, and, and there's going to be no allegedly behind it. I mean, I think that this horse was juiced out of his mind. And I don't think that this horse does anything else in its next couple of races. I hope I'm wrong because I like a long shot story just as much as anybody, Jim. But I'll tell you something. That was one funky race that I have not seen happen. And I've been to a ton of them. Jim, it was great to hear you bring on fellow Torontonian Kevin Weeks. Good night now.